You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We're in our series, This Audacious Life. Uh, Pastor Paul Reed started us off last week. He was phenomenal. Why don't you put your hands together for Paul, all he brought last week. And we're reading from Luke 2.52, where it says this, that Jesus grew in wisdom, which is what Paul talked about, stature and favour with God and man. And this week we are talking about stature. How do you grow in stature? I'm assuming I was not chosen because of my stature. <laughs> three, three people in my household at the moment are doing um, a degree. They're either doing a bachelor's or a master's. And two of them, I am one of them, I'm doing a master's. The other two, who are two of my children, are both in lectures online at the moment. So they decided that in one of them, one of their university course lectures, they would swap places during the lecture. So one of them's doing nursing and one of them is doing leadership and theology. I'm not telling you which lecture they were swapping in. I don't want to drop either of my children into trouble. However, they were swapping. They both put on a black hoodie. They pulled the hoodie as far forward as they could. They turned the camera off. One of them would sit in the chair. They turned the camera on. Then they turned the camera off. They'd swap again. Then they sat there. That one of them is a boy and one of them is a girl did not seem to throw the lecturer. That one of them is six foot two and the other is five foot four and a half. It seemed not to make any impact whatsoever on what was going on on the screen. Except you know and I know that every other student saw what was happening. Stature. You see, when we read the word stature, we often think that it's, a, it's connected to size or it's connected to uh, height or um, some look that you have. But actually, when you understand the word stature, it's to do with how you carry yourself. It's to do with how you carry yourself in the situations and circumstances of life. Jesus grew in stature. It doesn't say Jesus was born with stature. It says that Jesus grew with stature. That we are not naturally predisposed for everything that we are going to face in the things that we go through in life. Rather, what we have to do is grow in life so that we can face them with the stature that God has called us to carry. Because we have got to carry certain things in our life in order to have that stature to face what comes our way. The Bible equips us for living life to the full. That phrase doesn't mean living life with all enjoyment. It means living life, whatever comes your way, in all fullness, so that when we're facing crisis and when we're facing challenge and when we're facing moments of joy, we are stood in the right way to face it. So stature doesn't mean good portment. That you've found the way to get your stance just right. It doesn't mean that you know you have to wear one of those strange contraptions that pulls your shoulders back because you're, you know, slightly 
a little bit of a rolled neck there. It doesn't mean that at all. It means your personal standing before others. Literally, it comes from the Latin word that means status. It means to stand. It's actually the same word that we get the word statue from. It's the word we get status from. It is how you carry yourself. So we're going to talk about this audacious life, these four ways of living that we talk about as being audacious and how they impact your stature. So the first one I'm going to talk about is wildly authentic. Wildly authentic. I love the pairing of the words that when we worked through this five years ago and we were thinking about who we are to be wildly, not just a bit authentic. Like don't let how you face life be a little bit of you. Let it be the whole of you because the whole of you is shaped to face the whole of life. Status is an interesting thing because stature is not status. Status is things that people do. Have you ever had an email like this? Dear brother, friend, sir, madam, I would like to send you some money. In order to receive this money, simply send me your bank details. Ever, anybody ever had one of those emails? Anybody ever offered you gold? And you think, that is a deal, that is. If you can send me a thousand pounds, I will send you a million pounds worth of gold. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. I never, never thought that would come my way. And then take it to an extreme where you get people like Anne Delney in the United States of America who pretended she was someone she was not. So much so that she lived in high-class hotels and, and managed to get into the, the, the high society set, having come with nothing and having nothing to her name. Because she held a status in society that her stature could not maintain. So when she was found out and they discovered that she wasn't an heiress with a trust fund and she wasn't actually the country she was from, she was from another country and that wasn't actually her name, she ended up with 12 years in prison. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, on one of your social media accounts, written a status that isn't quite how you feel? Like, feeling awesome today. I'm just going back to bed because I'm done with the day. You know, you've written something like, you know, this is, this is how I am or this is, life is so good and life is just not so good. And instead of doing what we know to be true, what we're doing instead is we're, we're trying to project something. And sometimes, and I get it, sometimes we're trying to make a statement of faith. But sometimes what we call faith, because we don't believe it, we're just writing it, is not faith. We're just at the thin edge of the wedge when it comes to our status, not our stature. We've got to be wildly authentic. Do you know, the only way to be wildly authentic is in the context of community. You can't be wildly authentic behind a keyboard and a screen. 
Because you can change your photo and your avatar and you can change your look and your name and you can be whoever you want to be and that's illegal. In some settings, that is definitely illegal. But we do it in all sorts of different ways where instead of presenting the stature of who we are, we pretend because we haven't fallen in love with who we are because we haven't learned to love ourselves the way God loves us. When we understand how much he loves us, it changes our opinion of how we love us. Suddenly we find community. Community does this. It, it exposes the real you. Uh, we were joking this morning, Julie and I, that um, I, if I wear something and Julie goes, I don't like that, I'm still wearing it. It, it's not, I'm not being pedantic, I'm not being awkward, it's just we, they, we've been married for uh, nearly 30 years and that is just the way it is. I'm just, I'm just going to wear it. I'm not, she's going to go, I don't like that, and I'm going to go, okay. So now what happens is I wear it, she doesn't even say she doesn't like it, but I know. <laughs> I do know, I know. And she knows I know, and I know that she knows I know, but I don't have to say that I know, because we all know. So, I, you know, I got ready this morning. I put on a really nice hat and a, and a scarf. And I, I knew. I knew immediately. So I wore it. I was good with it. And I'll, I'll wear it leaving again. I feel great about it. <laughs> Community means that you're still being you. Really you. Like the power of our small groups is that ability to sit around together and go, hey, this is me. Some bits of me I don't like and some bits of me my wife doesn't like. But that's okay. Because in community, there's an honesty about it that allows us to talk about it. That we can be wildly authentic in being ourselves. See, the world needs to see not picture-perfect Christians, but people in love with Jesus. It needs to see with clarity. People who have discovered who Jesus is and how he is transforming their lives, not just once upon a time did something for you, but there is an ongoing transformation that is actually making me more wildly authentic today than I was yesterday because the ongoing work is happening. Number one, we're wildly authentic. Number two, we're called to be seriously fun. We are called, I love the fact my kids did that. They swap places in the middle of that lecture of a college that I am responsible for. Oh, sorry. Um, they made those swaps in the middle of those lectures. It's interesting when you're thinking about the Queen and when we're talking about her this week. A lot of the time, the things that people refer to are not the, um, the things that we would know as austere. We're referring to um, James Bond. And Paddington Bear. So much so, and I had, the, I had a chance to wander around Green Park on Friday, so much so they've banned Paddington Bears and marmalade sandwiches from Green Park. Because there's just too many. Like, um, how, how does it that at 96, that was the thing that people went, wow, here we go. We respect her more for her fun than we did when the fun wasn't there. That is serious fun. 
I think, growing up, one of my favourite stories in the Old Testament was when David brings the ark to Jerusalem. And David is the king. And he's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And as he's bringing the ark in, he's, he's, he's getting more and more excited about what he's doing. Because he understands that when you put the presence of God in the centre of your country's life, then something significant happens in the country. That's why we're praying for the Archbishop of Canterbury for Monday. Because when you put the presence of God right in the centre of the country's life, something significant. And David's getting more excited. His excitement is going beyond his words. You see, when our worship gets stuck at our words, we don't worship with the whole of ourselves. We don't bring our full offering to the Lord. Instead, we bring our vocal cord offering to the Lord with a little bit of our brains in play and a bit of our lungs. But actually, God is looking for our whole selves as a whole and living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. So there comes a point where David is marching along and he just has a moment, he goes, I got to dance. I, I just, I, 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 and, and they start to dance and then he warms up. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like if you've been to a wedding and there's, you know, some eight-year-old boys and they start the wedding looking really neat and then the music starts and before you know it, they're just small balls of sweat with a tie sticking off the side of their head, dancing. And David is so enamoured with God that he doesn't care about what his stature looks like to anybody else. So the coat comes off and everything, he's, 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 well, there's not a lot left when he's dancing at the end. And he's dancing through the streets and his wife, Michael, sees him. And she is furious with him. Because she wants him to look like a king and she has a picture in her mind of what the king should look like based on her father who failed. So she tries to impose what stature looks like based on a failed model and she tells David basically you need to be more stuffy about how you act in front of people. It's a brilliant conversation. David grips out that great phrase, listen, I will be even more undignified than this because of my love for God. And she's furious with him. And then he says this, today I got more honour from the people than I did before. Why? Because they saw the wildly authentic, seriously fun king enjoying God's presence. We have got to realise that stature is not about looking like you've got it all together. Stature is not about being the one that everybody can look to in the moment and everything is okay. Stature is about being the greatest example of Jesus that you can be to the world that you live in, to the people that are around you. We are literally God's best marketing plan for the church. It's not a poster and it's not an advert and it's not a Facebook thing that someone has bought. It's you, you being you, wildly authentic, seriously fun. You promote Jesus, 
more than anything else does. We can put on a sermon and then someone can meet you and you will speak more than the sermon will. Because people see the authenticity of your walk with him. And that you're fun and engaging and want to be with. Because how you carry yourself determines other people's view of God. They look and see him through you. We don't get to be with those people like you do, but you do. So be seriously fun, will you? Just find some of that energy that in those moments brings a breakthrough that nobody else has. I love, I think, this psalm where it says, Psalm 18, where it says this, God stooped down to make me great. He did not go, I'm sat on my throne looking all godlike. And you are so far beneath me that my stature you do not even come close to. And yet he stooped down. He reached down. Listen, don't live such an austere standing, such a high stature that there isn't things that are beneath you. There is nothing beneath us. We've got to do what we've got to do to see our city and our nation transformed by the love of Jesus. We have got to go. The third thing, because we haven't got time, is this. Third thing, we have got to be fiercely determined because our stature is not set. We read this verse in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus set his face like flint. It was a moment that he was going to Jerusalem. He was stealing himself for all that was in front of him. And he, he set himself. It's interesting that he doesn't say Jesus' face was always like flint. There was a moment where he had to change his face for what he was about to face. Uh, just a few days ago, I was preaching somewhere and uh, my friend introduced me. And he said this. He says, there's two things I love about Pastor Stewart. He says, number one, he says, he will tell you very directly about something. I was like, because mm. you don't come out well in that. Like when someone says that, everybody goes, mm. oh, he's one of them. Northern. And he says, number two, when I was in my darkest moment, he just sat with me and cared for me. What was interesting is those two encounters that he had with me were about 15 to 20 years apart. He was talking about two moments specifically. And I sat and kind of thought about it a little bit. And I was thinking about this. Abraham Maslow famously said these words. If the only tool you've got is a hammer, you treat every problem like a nail. Everything you're facing, if the only thing you can do is shout at it and rail at it, and tell it what you think, then that's how you treat everything. But our stature is not set. So what happens is we go through life being transformed and changed and we learn, we grow. And so when we face something different, Jesus in this going to Jerusalem, something he'd done many times, this time he set his face like flint. It doesn't say every time he got to that point on the road, he went, oh, here we go. It says on that occasion, he set his face like flint. 
We have got to stop treating every person and every problem the same. Because stature means you approach things differently. Because we've got more in the toolbox than we had before. Jesus, in Philippians, it tells us that to, to Paul writing to us says, may your attitude be like that of Christ. And then it tells an incredible narrative in just a few words, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. What? Stature, on a par with God, made himself nothing. Then he went further, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, which, you know, if you're God and human, there's a gap. Being made in human likeness, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Jesus' stature was not set as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and how he should appear as that. It's been great to watch our King work. I mean, his workload has been incredible, hasn't it, these last week? Work some of those lines where uh, I remember my father passing away and thinking to myself, if I had to go out and do all of those things in the days after, would I have the capacity to set my stature for giving people hope when I'm feeling like this? Well, we've got to learn the ability to meet people where they are and to deal with them. Because sometimes I've got to set my stature for breakthrough. I've got to set it ready for a fight. But sometimes I've got to set my stature for just demonstrating love, for showing love to someone, for standing with them in the midst of a pain. Sometimes I've got to set my stature for just an arm around someone to hold them up when they're in the middle of things. They don't need to see me ready to fight when they need to feel that I'm there to love them. People don't need to see you ready to judge when they need to know that you're there to love them. The responsibility of the church is not to judge the world, it's to love the world so that the great one who judges can in his moment bring his love into those circumstances. We have got to set our face for the circumstances we face because our stature is not set. Because how you carry yourself is determined by what you carry. If you're carrying a heavy load in life, then you're gonna feel the weight of that. It changes your stature. But when you realise, I can set my stature to the circumstance I'm facing, that changes how you do it. Third, fourth and final thing is that we have got to be fearlessly devoted. Fearlessly devoted. Paul writes of himself in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, and he says this, talking about his stature, he says, if someone thinks they've got confidence, sorry, they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Basically saying, I am at the top of the tree. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He is saying, I am the man, perfect, stature, perfect, everything about me, absolutely perfect. And then he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost 
all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in, sorry, through faith in Christ from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Stature is not the state you're in, but the state He makes you. You see, Paul had got himself to the point where everybody looked up to him. He had got himself to the top of the tree and then he realised that when he got to the top of the tree, there was nothing there worth being there for. Everything that he thought was of value, was of gain, was what really mattered. He got to that point and he went, what? And then he met Jesus. Because at that moment that he met Jesus, he realised that all of his striving and fighting, all of his study and work, all of his positioning himself to be the man was as nothing compared to an encounter with Jesus. And he radically changed his life. He became fearlessly devoted to Christ. Absolutely all in. There's nothing holding him back. There's nothing stopping him. He is passionate about this. And then he says this at the end of the chapter, not that I have already, already obtained all of this or have already arrived. There is no point in our walk with Jesus where we've arrived. There's no point on this earth where you have made it, where you can go, Jesus, I reckon you have finished your work in me. I think you've dealt with everything in me, every part of me. I think every issue that you've ever pointed to, I have addressed that. I have looked inside of myself and I have realised, Lord, your work is done. Uh, one of my mentors is 80 years old. He has been in ministry uh, since he was in his early 20s. Uh, I sit with him four times a year. It's a real privilege. And, and, and he said to me just a couple of times ago, he said, I just keep finding more stuff. And, and I'm, I like looking at him and I think he's brilliant. He's amazing. I just keep finding more stuff that the Lord needs to deal with. Fearlessly devoted to our standing in Christ, not our standing before men. Fearlessly devoted to realising that it's the state that He puts us in, not the state we get ourselves in. That's what really matters. Ephesians 2 says this, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This audacious life, four things in a moment, Pastor Paul's gonna come up and he's gonna take us through the next part of the meeting, but it's four simple things. Number one, stop chasing status. Be wildly authentic. Number two, don't be stuffy. Have serious fun. Number three, live flexible, fiercely determined to love, to fight, to weep and to laugh. And number four, let your fiercest devotion to Jesus show in your stature. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.